Good morning. It's good to see you and to see you out there as well, those who are live streaming. It's good to be together today. You may not have noticed, but in our bulletin, it's been there for a long, long time. Our theme for the year, our our focus is perseverance. And as we've been going through the book of Acts, I've been amazed, (laughs) convicted, challenged about how persevering, how tenacious these missionaries were to keep on spreading the gospel in spite of much turmoil and trouble along the way. The book of Acts is often known as the Acts of the Apostles, but we know probably would be better entitled Acts of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit was leading and guiding these Christians, these early disciples, to spread his church. And that same spirit is living in us and, and, and urging us and spurring us on to do exactly the same in our times. You look around and sometimes you might wonder, is Jesus really doing what he promised? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. How do you feel about that this morning? Do you feel like the church is prevailing? How about you? Are you prevailing? Now's not the time to give up. Because Jesus is keeping his word. Now's the time for us to be bold and courageous, even as we, uh, Glenn mentioned in his prayer, how the world seems to be getting worse. Now more than ever, the world needs the gospel. Have you ever asked the question, what in the world kept Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke and all the other descriptions we have in the book of Acts, how did, how did those people keep going on under, with all the persecution? How did, they, how did they keep going forward when it would have been so much easier to stop, to be quiet, to just live their life and, and, and hang on and hopefully do God's work? Can I possibly be courageous as the Apostle Paul? As a matter of fact, I'm glad I'm not the Apostle Paul. How about you? No. But, you know, we might not be the Apostle Paul. There's only one of them, but yet... God is calling you and me to be God's sent ones to where he has us. (laughs) By his grace and strength, yes, we can be courageous like Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke and the rest of the characters uh, in the book of Acts that we've been reading about, these Christians who were following Christ, these followers of Jesus. What did they know? What gave them confidence? So today I just want to real quickly look in Acts chapter 17, these 15 verses, these three main ideas. If you, if you happen to be here, there's an outline you can follow along. And like I say, you'll know when I'm getting near the end, if nothing else. Steady faith and ministry. We can be steady in our faith and ministry. What did they understand about God that kept them living for Christ and serving him fervently? What did they know? What do we know that can help us do the same about our God? What do we know about God that will help us? They were strong in God's word. Everywhere they preached the gospel, there was heated response. Some of it was amazing belief. (laughs) Others was total rejection. (laughs) What did they know about the gospel that kept them speaking it, even though it got them into so much trouble? 
They were students of people. And we're going to be looking at this a little bit more next week in the end of, of uh, the second part of Acts chapter 17. For the love of Christ controls us. Paul wrote that in the book of 2 Corinthians, the letter to the Corinthians. And he says the love of God controls us so we keep preaching the gospel. How will the love of God keep me living for him and telling and being a consistent follower of Christ so that they can have that hope too? So steady in faith and ministry. We can press on by God's powerful presence and his grace that's at work in our lives. What kept these people, these men, even the women, pressing on in spite of the turmoil that they met in every city? Think about that. Everywhere they went, there was trouble. What kept them going? You know, there's this pattern in Scripture. You, you've noticed it if you've read through the Bible a few times, or even just once, or partway through. There's this pattern of travail, then triumph, and then more travail and turmoil. Peter wrote in his letter, 1 Peter, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So we shouldn't be surprised. It's a pattern in the Old Testament and it's here in the New Testament as well in the lives of God's people. Think about Jesus' life. All the travail that the Jewish people uh, experienced in the Old Testament leading up to his birth. And Jesus is born, and that's a great triumph, but then it quickly led to turmoil because he had to flee to Egypt for his life, and there was a slaughter of the innocents in Jerusalem, all this turmoil even around his birth. And then there's the triumphs of his teaching and his miracles and his ministry, and many, many believed in him, but then there was the travail of his rejection, trial of his crucifixion. Then there's the triumph of his resurrection. Sing it, church. He's alive. And then there was the day of Pentecost and thousands believed. And then there was turmoil, persecution, <laughs> wherever they went. Hey, Brother David was preaching in, in uh, Acts chapter 16 the last couple weeks, and Paul had a vision. Go to Macedonia. So they went to Macedonia and people believed in Philippi. And then what happened? Imprisonment, beatings, <laughs> trouble. The pattern just goes on and on. They had to run for their lives. So <laughs> how did this ministry team keep pressing on? You ever say I quit? I've never quit on God or Jesus or heaven. But boy, sometimes I want to quit in obeying him and following him when it isn't popular, or it's not easy, or it just seems to stir up trouble, or nothing seems to be happening. It's too costly. Haven't I obeyed enough and, obeyed enough and given up enough? <laughs> Can't I just rest? So what kept these men going? Oh, we know it wasn't the money and the exotic, exotic travels. <clears throat> it was what they knew about the glory and the power and the love of God. For them, 
and for others. His presence and his grace energized them so that they could persevere. I have a question for you. You're here today, but are you really here? Or are you distracted by troubles in your life, struggles in your life, worries in your life, or the fun thing that's going to be happening later on today and your mind's already there? We get so easily distracted. And have you ever wondered, have you ever asked yourself, God, how do you put up with me? Because I'm so easily distracted, so easily discouraged, so easily disobedient, so easily self-centered rather than more God-centered and other-centered. How do you put up with us? Because his love is steady, his power is unfailing, and his promises are never broken. For you. For me. He's not like us. And never make the mistake of thinking God thinks like you and runs hot and cold in his love or his faithfulness. He is not like us. I have to go to Isaiah 40 and 41 regularly. And more and more as I get older and walk with God more and more because I realize how pathetic and weak I am and yet how different God is in loving. You'll need to take time to read those two chapters on their own. But let me just highlight a few verses. In Isaiah chapter 40, God asks the question, to whom then will you liken God or what, what likeness compare with him? To whom will you compare me, asks God? What shall I be like? Who can be like this holy one? In verse 31 of 40, he says, but those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. In chapter 41, he's, he God writes this through Isaiah, but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its furthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. I wonder if Paul and Silas, when they were in prison, thought about those verses and got courage from them because we can get courage from them. These truths impressed on our minds to know our God will help us. Ponder God's power and his love that's at work in your heart that never gives up on you. Never will forsake you. No matter what you've done this week that was evil and you knew it was wrong, and you went astray, his love will not let you go if you have entrusted your life to him. Those truths are for our gifts to our mind and then to our souls because Jesus hangs on to us and then it will help us hang on to him and to do his work. I'm hanging around in this point for a while. Have you ever wondered what Abraham knew about God 
that he dared to barter with him about Sodom. Hey, God, if there's 50 righteous people, will you save that wicked city? Yes, I will. I'll save that city if there's 50 righteous people. God, if there's 40. And you know, he went down to 10. What did Abraham know about this holy, mighty, powerful God that made him, that he dared to keep asking for more? God answered his desire. He rescued the righteous people that were in that city. And they didn't even seem very righteous. But Lot was a man of faith. Wow. What did Jacob know about his God? That when he was in that wrestling match that night and he was losing, and he said, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. What did he know about his God that he dared to say, Jacob, you know, he was a conniver, right? He wasn't the most holy guy. We want to hold him up as follow his example, the way he lives his life. But yet he knew his God and he dared to say, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. Would you ever dare do that? Do you know your God that well? And what did Moses know? I love this. Think about Moses. Moses, you're standing on holy ground. You know, he's at the fiery bush and he's afraid to look and he takes off his sandals and then he argues with God. God wants him to go to Egypt. And what does he say? No. What did Moses know about his God, his God's heart, that he dared argue with him? I ask you this morning, do you know that God that well? Oh, that we would know our God so well that we would dare to ask crazy things, things that would raise up his name and and glory and and empower, that we would dare to wrestle with him and say, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. God, I don't want to go. But he did go. What did they know? Oh, that we would know God this way. Unbeliever, if you're listening today or here today in this room, the God who created you, who sent his son to die for your sins so that you could enjoy life and know him and be fulfilled, to fulfill the desires of your heart, if not in this life, surely in the next. Do not refuse him. What are you doing? Why are you waiting? Why are you refusing him still? Believer, know Jesus' heart and how he seeks you. And you know someone who does not know this God or his heart or his Savior Jesus in his heart. Would you dare ask God to rescue them and just not let go of him until they are blessed? I'm so happy our summer series beginning July and August, we're going to be looking at the heart of God. (laughs) Being surprised by how God reacts to us when we fail him so often. So like this team, we can be steady in our faith and our ministry because we know our God. We're learning about our God. We're growing and knowing him more as heart and we dare to do his will. That will help us persevere against the world when it seems to be all against us. 
One other thing I see in this chapter is how these men, these missionaries, how these servants of God were strong in God's word. They persisted in telling God's revel, relevant and powerful word. They're in Thessalonica. That's part of the story here in Acts chapter 17. And if you look in 1 Thessalonians, happens to be one of my go-to letters when I think about ministry and what it's supposed to look like. In chapter 2, Paul says, For you yourselves know, brothers, he's speaking to these believers in Thessalonica that we just read about this morning in our scripture reading. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we were already, had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. A little bit later on in that chapter, Paul writes this. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Brothers and sisters... We toiled through hardships for your sake. They were following Jesus' caring ways through their life and through their words. And Jesus shared his good news in his life, and he toiled in it, and it was hard. I love what it says in Acts chapter 17, verse 3. They were in the synagogue, it says, and Paul reasoned with the Jews three three Sabbath days, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer. That word explaining is a word that means to open up. It's the word that Luke used uh, when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus, speaking to the disciples, and he says he opened up the word of God to them and explained to them that the Christ, that the Messiah had to die and had to suffer and die and then be resurrected to life. And, and the light bulb went on and their hearts were burning because it was God's truth, it was God's good news, it was God's gospel that he was telling them. That word explaining just means he laid it out. I like to say he connected the dots. He, he put it out in, in, in order so that they could understand and see that it was true. That's what Paul was doing here in the synagogue. He was opened up the word of God. He laid it out. He, he laid out the plan. And people, we need to do that for people. We need to give the gospel context. We need to show them how it connects. And then speak about our lives and how it's changing us. God's word through the Holy Spirit has powerful effect. Do not discount the power of your life when you're trying to obey God and follow him and his word. It will have effect on people. It will provide and make opportunities for you to speak the gospel, live the gospel, and then speak the gospel into their hearts and lives. Head, heart, and hands. Know God's word. Fill your mind with it. You have opportunity to do that. Let it get into your heart. The spirit of God takes his truth. He takes it from your mind and he puts it into your soul so it changes the way you think. What you begin to value changes your attitudes. It's a work of God. It's a process. And then it leaks into or gets to your hands and to your feet where you begin to act 
as Jesus acted. That's what Paul and Silas did. They, they, Paul talked about it in the letter to the Thessalonians. We gave our lives so we could preach the gospel. We got to persist in telling God's word because it's so useful. It's rich. It's honey for your soul. It's gold for your heart. Psalm uh, 19 says it, doesn't it? Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Do you need revive today? Look into God's word and find out some truth about your God so that your heart will be lifted up. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure and enlightens the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean and endures forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. By them is your servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. When they preached the gospel, what happened in the book of Acts, chapter 17, and all through the book? Many believed. I love the highlight, how Luke highlights the women. Did you women notice that? We need to take note of that. It wasn't just upstanding men. As a matter of fact, I think there was more upstanding women. Hot passion for God when they heard the gospel, the truth and the spirit, put it into their minds, into their hearts, and their lives began to be changed. You can read about it in 1 Thessalonians, the first 10 verses. Wow, great change happened in Thessalonica and Berea. And then there was unbelief and hot burning hatred for Jesus, his gospel, and his servants. <laughs> As a matter of fact, those Thessalonica Jewish people that rejected it traveled 50 miles, you know, an hour in the car. I don't know how long it would be in a chariot. But they hated it so much, they traveled 50 miles to Berea to stop it. Not in my town and not anywhere close. That's hatred. That's rejection. You know, you're either for Jesus or you're against him. There's no middle ground. You know what else I see here? It's interesting. God's mysterious ways. In Thessalonica, there was this like strong... There was belief, but there was a strong rejection. Nothing to do with it. In Berea, there's always a Berean class in a church. There used to be one here, I think, right? <laughs> They're commended. They, they looked into the word of God. They were searching it out to see if it was true. That's commendable. But you know, have you ever read the letter to the Berean church? It's never mentioned again. But in Thessalonica, where there was such strong rejection, there's letters written, there were believers there, and they were strong. In the midst of trials and tribulation, they grew. Just kind of interesting how God works. It doesn't mean there wasn't a strong church in Berea. It's just never mentioned again. Thessalonica. So don't be surprised, people, by these mixed responses that you're getting in the workplace when you mention the name of Jesus. Remember the pattern? Turmoil triumph, more trouble. It's been going on for a long time, and it will until Jesus comes.
One thing we also note is, too, that often the religious privileged are ho-hum about God's word. I hope that's not you today. Ho-hum for Bible study and obedience. They really don't want to hear the word of God. Sometimes the privileges of knowing the word of God makes us not like it very much. So ask God to keep our hearts hungry for his word. So what kept these disciples going? Because they knew the word of God was able to change. Why does God keep putting up with this world? Why doesn't Jesus just come back and fix it now? Because he's patient. Not wishing any to perish, but for all to reach repentance. So Paul kept going to his own people, the Jews, even though they rejected him and beat him and stoned him because their zeal was misguided, they didn't understand. And even those kind of people deserved to hear the gospel. He kept preaching to the Gentiles, even though they didn't get it, even though they didn't understand it, because they need to know, they need the clarity, they need to understand that there is a God, that it's not an idol, it's not some uh, guru or some idea out there Ignorance of the created, they needed to know the truth, so they kept going. When your enemy curses you, what are you to do? Bless them. So don't lose heart in sharing the gospel. They were steady in faith and ministry. They were strong in God's word because they knew the gospel was the power of salvation, and they were students of people. Religious prejudiced people who are proud and zealous and misguided need to hear the gospel truth of God. Paul was a student, so he kept going back to those people, whether Jew or Gentile, and preaching the gospel. And, and many of them were the most aggravating in his life, but he kept going to them. You can read about that in Romans chapter 9. But when Paul felt rejection from the gospel, what did he do? He went to people who were open to it. And he hung out there, and he taught, and he spoke, and he shared more and more of the word. I can't read other people's hearts very well. I'm a guy. That's my excuse. Right, Leslie? <laughs> I can't know what's going on in the hearts of people. The truth is, I don't even understand my own heart. I'm blind to my own sins and my weaknesses and too proud to admit it when I, somebody does point them out. But God does know people's hearts. He's the one that made them and created them. Psalm 139 tells us that God knows everyone's thoughts before words on their tongue. Think about that. I don't know, what is there? Nine, 90, 100 people in this room and just think he knows what everyone's thinking right now. And then think about all the billions of people in the world, and he's got it all down. Think about all the evil he knows that's about to take place. And he loves those people. And he wishes they would come to know him. He would like to fix it. He knows our hearts. He knows our ways. He knows our morning routines. He knows our online habits. He knows your favorite snack. 
And he's asking us to be students of people. He knows their hearts, so ask him to help you know what word, what action, what step of love will connect with them so that you can share the hope of the gospel with them. He will help us because he knows their heart. I want to pause for an advertisement. Our teaching enrichment class that's going on right now, I would recommend to everyone. Even if you're not gifted or you don't feel like you want to be a formal teacher in a classroom kind of setting, teaching God's word, it's still useful. This class is useful to help you be a student of people and to communicate to them. I, I would just recommend it. And uh, you can ask anyone who's taken a class. I, I think they'll give it a good review. And it's not because I'm teaching it, but because the material is so good and useful, refreshing just to resharpen my skills of how to communicate. What are the beliefs behind people's behaviors? What untruths are they believing that are, that are driving their life choices? Have you ever thought about it? Because what you believe drives what you do. This course helps you understand how you can speak into their lives to connect God's truth to, to what they're believing, their wrong beliefs or right beliefs. Jesus knows their hearts, and we can, the Holy Spirit will help us. And, you know, it takes practice, too. Just listen to people. Be, begin to believe and trust and obediently speak up when you know what you know about Jesus' life-changing power, how he's changed you. You know, the elder team, we've been reading this book, Paul Tripp's book, Lead. And I love this quote. I think I got it right. Fruitful ministry begins in community. One person can't minister to all the heart needs of people. That's why God made us a team. We need each other. Who's hard-hearted? Who's soft-hearted? The Holy Spirit will help us know that. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were beaten and imprisoned in Philippi because they were preaching the gospel. And it says this in verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Talk about a captive audience, huh? Have you ever wondered what they were singing? to build up their strength, their perseverance, their faith through their aches and pains from being beaten. This hymn came to my mind. And just think about what it says. It's simple. It's an old hymn. Isaac Watts wrote it. They couldn't have sung it because it hadn't been written yet. <laughs> but think about sitting in prison after you've been beaten and you're sore, and you're chained, you're shackled, and you need strength, you need encouragement for your mind and your heart to not lose faith. Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal home. Under the shadow of thy throne, thy saints have dwelt secure. Sufficient is thine arm alone, and our defense Sure. Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. 
Be thou our God, while life shall last, and our eternal home. I wonder what they were singing. And when you're feeling weak and beaten, and the storms of life are overwhelming you, I dare you to fill your heart with truths about your God and who he is and what he promises to do for you. Prevailing as promised, Jesus is building his church. And we read about that in Acts, in Acts chapter 17, our focus today, and we see how God empowered these, these missionaries and how men and women were coming to faith and they were living for God in the midst of turmoil. We can be steady in our faith and ministry for Christ too. Have a question for you today. Is there something the Spirit of God is impressing on you to do this week to know Christ's heart better. How well do you know your God that you would dare to barter with him like Abraham or wrestle with him and say, I'm not going to let go till you bless me like Jacob? To argue with him like Moses, saying, I don't like what you're asking me to do. Can't you send somebody else? I quit. I've said that more than once, believe me, this week. We can be strong because of who our God is. We can be strong in the word of God. So know this word and let it change you. God just doesn't want it up here his knowledge. He wants it to change you. That's its purpose and that's its goal. That's the work of the Spirit. Don't ignore it. Maybe you're here today and you're not believing or you're doubting. I, I would say you need to think about God speaking to you through his word. Don't ignore it. Is there something about his word today that you need to pursue him? Is that what God would have you do today? Or do you need to be a better student of people? That person that you work with, that neighbor across the street, asking God to help you see their need, what would connect with them, whether it's the sports, the politics, and all that mess, or whatever it is that you could speak the truth of God, that you could get connected with them. What I'd like us to do before we take communion today is we celebrate what Jesus has done for us and the new life that he's given us through his death, burial, and resurrection. Before we do that, before we remember what he's done and commit ourselves to follow him today, would you take a moment and just think about, God, what do you want me to do today? How do I need to get to know your heart? What about your word do I need to dig into to know it better, to let it change me? What about those people you want me to connect with? How can I be a better student? Would you take a minute and pray for yourself? And then along that way, in that minute, pray for someone near you, sitting next to you, or someone that comes to your mind and pray for them that God would be working in their lives and hearts, whatever their need is, for Christ, to grow in Christ. Would you do that? Let's take a moment and pray together in silence, and then I'll close our time in prayer.
Father and God, teach us to be still in your presence. So we can hear you. Teach us to love the world the way you love the world. Help us to know and apply your word, to know your truth and to know your heart and your love and the depth of your grace, your unending faithfulness. Change us so we can have a part in bringing many into your kingdom. Lord, I thank you for the faith of your people here. Increase it. And for those who are doubting or skeptical, Lord, move in their hearts and reveal the glories of who you are, we pray. In the name of Christ, our Savior and Lord, who died for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.